When we, <clears throat> my wife and I go hiking, one of the things we like to hike to sometimes is waterfalls. And I mentioned years ago, and this took place a long time ago, we had driven 40 miles out of the way to see a waterfall, and then after you got there, you had to hike down the trail. I forget how far it was, but you had to go quite a ways. Well, I didn't grow up in the South, but I had grandparents and uncles and aunts that lived in the South, and we learned a long time ago that when you went out at night, you always carried a flashlight. And it wasn't always just to see where you were going, it was to watch out for snakes. Because their snakes were prevalent in some of those areas that my, uh, my uh, relatives lived in. And if you <clears throat> had to walk through tall grass, you were always very cautious. Because you knew that a snake uh, could be anywhere. And so as we hiked down that trail, I told my wife that you need to slow down and stop jumping over those logs. You need to be careful because there's gonna, you're going to run into a snake. She said, uh, I'm not going to worry about it. <clears throat> she kept going and kept going, and I kept saying, you need to slow down and be careful. And then the next thing I know, she jumped over a log, and I heard her suck in her breath, and there was a timber rattler that was laid across the path, and it was the biggest timber rattler that I had ever seen. Well, immediately, my response was, boom, I'm gone. <clears throat> And she's like, we got to make a picture of this. No one will believe that we've seen a snake this big. Well, we didn't have the cameras that we have today. We didn't have cell phones back then. All we had was a Kodak Instamatic camera. Now, if you know anything about a Kodak Instamatic camera, it had a little tiny viewfinder that you had to ram right up to your face. And it did not magnify anything. And so she's trying to get as close to it as she could. And I'm like, if you get bit, you're on your own. I'm not sucking out anything to get that venom out of you. It's not happening. You're just dead. Not happening. I was gone. And I think that sometimes we need to understand that we need to treat sin like, some, like we would a snake. I could have went around, but I told my wife, if there's one, there could be more. And so I, we didn't see that waterfall. It wasn't worth the price. It wasn't even worth the thought. So we went back to the car without seeing that waterfall. Timothy tell, or Paul told Timothy that we're involved in a fight. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Brother, we're in a battle in this world. We're in a battle for our lives and for the souls, not only our souls, but the souls of men and women throughout this world. And there's a time that we have to retreat. There's a time that we need to move back. I was interested at one point in under, trying to understand why on a, uh, a military uniform that sometimes the flag looks like it's backwards because usually a flag hanging on the wall, you've got the, the, the stars uh, over in the uh, left-hand uh, upper corner. But if you ever look at it on a uniform, it's the opposite of that. And so I wanted to know what the reason was, and some of you that have served can tell me if I'm right or wrong after the service this morning or tonight. 
But what I found on the Internet is that that flag is facing that direction because an American soldier is always to be going forward. They were not to be going in retreat. But I think that even a soldier knows that there are times that you need to run. There's times that you need to retreat. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Because there's problems in our lives that we have to deal with and there's sin in, in, that is out there that we need to be cautious of. And James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so the Bible tells us that if we stand up, that there are times that the devil may flee. And we see that happen with Jesus in the wilderness when He was confronted three times by the devil with temptation. And He used Scripture and the devil left Him. He, he left for a season. He didn't leave Him entirely forever, but He left for a, a, a period of time. And the devil may leave us for a period of time, but he's going to come back. But Paul reminds us that there are some things as a Christian that even in this spiritual battle that we're involved with, there are things that we need to flee. There's things that we need to run away from. Like my reaction to that snake, there are things that we need to avoid, that we need to stay away from. And when we see them in the path, it's time to go the other way. And that's part of the battle. One of the items that I want to talk about is flee youthful lust. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, Paul told Timothy, "Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart." There's things that young people are faced with that we we sometimes as we mature, we understand that those things were dangerous. But sometimes as young people, we don't see those things. We don't look at it as something that's dangerous. We don't look at it like it's something that's going to hurt us. And we look around and we see other people involved with those things and they're doing it and everything seems okay. But God tells us that there are some things that we need to run away from. That we need to stay away from. Timothy undoubtedly was a godly man. But you don't prove your godliness by seeing if you can resist the lust of the flesh. In other words, you don't try to get as close as you can to it. I didn't want to be close to that snake. I could have cared less if we would have had a picture. But that's what we do sometimes. We want to get as close to sin as we possibly can and see if it's really going to have an effect on us. 1 John chapter 2 Verses 15-17 through 17 says, <clears throat> Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Brethren, it's important that we serve God. It's important that we follow God. It's important that we listen to what He tells us. Because this world is only temporary. And we see in the, in the Old Testament, we've seen in the New Testament where people have looked out into the world and seen those things and went and got involved with it and turned away from God. And I think that we've seen people in our own lives where that's happened to. And maybe it's happened in our own life where we tried to get as close to it as we possibly could to see what was going to happen. You see, there are times that people get caught up in sin because they wanted to see if they were strong enough to resist it. 
You know, there may be a hot pot on the stove and mom might say, That's, that, that pot's hot. Don't touch it. Now, do I need to touch it to find out if it will burn me or not? That's the way we are sometimes. I remember one time we went out to eat. We were on vacation and we stopped at a hotel and it had on the back of the key that they gave us or whatever you call that card and it had a discount for the hotel, for the restaurant that was across the road and we went there and we weren't dressed as highfalutin as some of those people that were in there so they kind of looked down on us and we weren't very comfortable there. Well, we were comfortable. I don't think they were comfortable with us. And they said a few things that would lead us to believe that. But I remember that they brought the dish out and sat it in front of me and said, don't touch it. That's 500 and something degrees. So when you know what I did? I touched it. <laughs> I looked at them and it didn't burn. But that's what we do sometimes. People warn us. Parents warn us. Teachers warn us. Preachers warn us. Elders warn us. Our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ warn us. And sometimes we still want to touch it and see if it's going to burn us. We want to get as close to it as we possibly can. Why? Are we stronger than some of the other people? Are we stronger than those that we have seen fall? Why is it that we want to try to get as close to it as we possibly can? You see, people get trapped in drugs and alcohol and other similar things because they're curious to see what it's like and why people say it's so hard to avoid addiction. And they they sample it just to see. I won't be an alcoholic. I won't be a drug addict. Well, how do you know? Why test yourself? Why take that first drink? Why take that first hit or whatever else it may be? Why do that when you can avoid it? And that's why Paul tells Timothy to flee some of those things that you're tempted with as a young person. Sometimes when we get older, we don't have those temptations. We have other temptations. But sometimes as a young person, we feel invincible. I keep saying we. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm young. But we think we're invincible. We think that nothing's going to touch us. It won't affect me like it will others. Don't put yourself to that test. Avoid those things. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Stay away from those things. And many times when you look out and you say, Mom and Dad's just they're, they're old fashioned, the preacher's old fashioned, these people are all old fashioned, they just don't want me to have fun. And I've had people that will tell me, You just don't want me to have fun. God doesn't want me to have fun. God knows what's good. God knows what you need to avoid. God knows the pitfalls that you can get caught up in. And He knows how deceitful Satan can be. And so don't, don't try to test yourself by doing things that you know are not right. 
And when you know something is bad, it's foolish to test to see how bad it is. Joseph, I think, is a great example for us. When Potiphar's wife trapped him in the house and attempted to to get him to have sex with her, what did he do? Well, in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 12, it says, And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now, he was in a situation where his brothers back home, his dad, nobody in the family would have known what he was doing. And perhaps they could have kept it a secret where no one knew what was going on, but Joseph knew what he what she wanted him to do was wrong. And he didn't drop to his knees and pray. He didn't ask for somebody to help him to get out of that situation. He knew that the answer was to run. And that's exactly what he did. Now you say, well, look at what it cost him. Yeah, what did it cost him? I'll tell you what it didn't cost him. It didn't cost him favor with God. God approved of what he did by running. And it may have looked bad with all the other people. Oh, I can't believe you wouldn't have done that, Joseph. But Joseph knew that what she wanted to do was sinful. And so he ran out of that situation. And that's what we need to do sometimes. Staying to see how long we can resist is something that's foolish. And it would have been foolish for Joseph. The Bible says flee fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. So sometimes running is the only safe course. Something else that we need to flee, and that is the love of money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10-11, through 11, listen to what it says, "...for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, listen to this, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness." You know, we realize the importance of money in our society and what we can do with it. But don't allow the love of that money to take over your life. Because it can cause great problems in our lives. And did you notice what it says in the very next verse, verse 12? There it tells Timothy to flee the love of money, but then Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. So part of what we're hearing from Paul is when we're fighting, sometimes what is involved with that fighting is retreating, is running, is fleeing. That's part of the battle. Don't stay and tempt yourself. Just like with youthful lust, don't stay around and try to figure out, oh, I can get all this money and everything's going to be okay. Because we realize what the love of money has done to several people that has cost them their soul and it will cost you your soul if you allow that to get in the way of your service to God. And so the best way to fight is to run. 
You see, materialism is a temptation that can destroy Christians. It is so prevalent in our society that we often overlook it. There was a young man who came to Jesus and he wanted to enter heaven. And he asked Jesus what he needed to do. In Matthew chapter 18 or chapter 19 verses 21 and 22, Jesus said unto him, "If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me." When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I wonder how many of us are really in the same condition as this rich young ruler, as this young man. How many of us, if Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow Me, how many of us would be thrilled and happy to do that? Or are we caught up in those things too? You see, it's always easy to look at somebody else. It's difficult sometimes to look in the mirror and ask those tough questions. Do I thirst? For money, do I have the love of money? That young man had an opportunity to follow Jesus. Now think about that. He he didn't have to walk by faith. He could have followed Jesus and watched everything that he did. He could have heard the parables in person. He could have seen the miracles in person. He could have seen the crucifixion in person. But he loved his possessions more. Where do you think following Jesus would lead to? I think if we follow Jesus, it's going to lead to heaven. Can you think of anything that's better than heaven? You see, do you think that it can't happen to you? Jesus tells us that we can't serve God and money. In Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Don't sacrifice your soul for the love of money. Realize that the most valuable possession that you have in your life is your soul. Jesus asked that question, What shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know, if we had all the material wealth of this world, and we had it all, it belonged to you or me, and we had it, that would be a sizable amount of possessions and riches. But what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Price isn't worth it. Our soul is more valuable. And following Jesus will lead us to heaven. The ultimate goal, the place that everybody wants to go to who has any knowledge of what heaven really is. You can't serve two masters. So we need to flee youthful lust. We need to flee the love of money. We also need to flee idolatry. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, the wherefore my beloved or dearly beloved flee from idolatry. Idolatry is false religion, false gods. And many of those uh, false gods have pulled people away from God. In Romans chapter 1 verses 19 through 23 it says because that which because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things which he which that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to the corruptible man, into birds, and the four-footed beasts, and the creeping things. And Paul is telling us that people have a knowledge of God, but they didn't want to follow God. That it's easier to build an idol, to erect an idol that's made out of some kind of material that is perishable. But they would rather worship something like that as opposed to following the Almighty God who has revealed Himself in the creation. And people that follow these idols, they realize that they have to realize that that idol is nothing. But yet they still follow it. And that's why we have so many false religions today. We may not bow down to an idol, but people shop around until they find what they want. In other words, they're trying to create God in the image that they want Him to be in. Instead of looking at God's Word and saying, this is God and I need to serve Him and I need to mold myself with His help into what He would have me to be. We can see in Israel, the children of Israel, that it happened over and over and over again. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, Surely as a wife treacherously departed from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. A voice was heard from the high places weeping and supplication for the children of Israel, for they have perverted their ways, and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Spiritually speaking, they were married to, to God. And they had walked away from God. They turned away from Him. We are married to the Lord if we're members of the church. And to Him we must be true. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25-27 through 27, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God wants us to serve Him. As a Christian, we belong to Him. We're part of the body of Christ, His Son. We're part of that body, which is the church. Why would, we, why would we think God would be happy or pleased when we replace Him with something else? You see, we often think of idolatry as a thing of the past. 
But false religion continues to exist today. One of the fastest growing religions in the world today is Islam. And often we hear people say that we worship the same God, that it's the same God. And we just call Him by a different name. The God of the Muslims is not the God of the Bible. To a Muslim, the words that are found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8-10 through 10, are blasphemous. The words that are found in John chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, to be acknowledged as true, could get a person killed. Because they're talking about the Son of God, who is the Word and He became flesh. They don't recognize what the Bible teaches concerning Christ. And so no Christian ought to toy with idolatry. But yet there are times that I have heard people that will say, I'm going to go try this out. I just want to see if what we're hearing is true. That's a dangerous way of life. Don't do those things. Flee. The Bible also teaches us that we're to flee from the wrath to come. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meant for repentance. Christians realize that sin is dangerous. And we need to know the dangers of that sin. We talked about that a little bit this morning when we acknowledged that people make excuses for sin, try to cover up sin, try to make it sound better than it really is, but sin will separate us from God. And sin will cause us to be lost if we don't take care of it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17-18, through 18, "...for the time is come that judgment must begin with the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God?" And if the righteous, righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? What's that implied there? It's telling us that we're scarcely saved. We don't deserve to be saved, but Jesus made a way. God made a way. When He died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, He made a way so you and I could have the forgiveness of sin and be a child of His. And from this passage of the Scripture, we find that there's going to be a judgment for us but imagine being in an unprepared condition to meet that judgment that's on its way. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's a frightful thing when you're not prepared. It should be a frightful thing if you're not prepared. As a Christian, we realize the seriousness of living a life in faithful service to our Lord. Do we really believe what the Bible teaches us concerning the seriousness of sin and the things that we need to flee from or avoid in this life? Shouldn't this make a person pull back as far as they possibly could from sin. 
As Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? As Christians, we died to sin. We came up out of that watery grave of baptism. Let me ask, why did we go into it to begin with? Because we knew that we were lost. We knew our destiny was going to be hell. And so we went down in that watery grave of baptism and we came up to have our sins washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ so that we could live a life in faithful service to God. So why would we want to go back into that world of sin? And that's what Paul was dealing with. God's grace is wonderful. And because you sin, you may have God's grace. He makes a way for us and provides forgiveness for us when we meet His conditions. That doesn't mean as a Christian that we're supposed to be looking for ways to transgress God's law. Many of us see where the line is. But we want to get as close to the edge without falling in as we possibly can. Ephesians 5, verses 5-8 through 8, For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God expects us, Jesus expects us, to continue to walk in that light when we come up out of that watery grave of baptism, that new creature. That change has taken place. And we are to stay away from sin, to avoid sin. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. If God expected us to be perfect and to never sin, then He wouldn't have made a way back for us. But He does not expect us to go out there and willfully sin. So don't be a partaker with those who do. You see, God's wrath will come upon all sinners. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-6, through 6, "...mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh to the children of disobedience." We know that the wrath of God is coming. We can flee that wrath by being obedient to the Gospel. We don't have to worry about that wrath because we know that He's coming to get His faithful servants to take them home to be with Him forever. As the Hebrew writer asks, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? How will we escape? It's a frightful thought to know that we fall into the hands of a living God unprepared. And to know that judgment is coming, and if you're lost, how will you escape? There is no escape. Your destiny is sealed. Sometimes when people are taught self-defense, one of the things that they learn is that once you're free, the best thing to do is to run. You know, sometimes people look at that as a cowardly response. 
But would you rather be called a coward by someone because you won't do some of the sinful things that they're doing? Or would you rather have be called a faithful servant of God? Don't be afraid to run. Don't be afraid to say, I can't do those things. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, know, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. And so the safest thing to do is to flee sin. Avoid it as much as we can, uh, as possible that lieth in us. Re- remember that God's there to help us. We're there to help each other. And we can overcome the sinful things in this world, but as Paul tells us and others have told us, that there are some things that we don't need to stop and fight. We need to run and get out of those situations. Don't test God. Trust God. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.